That was the opening music to MGM's Singin' in the Rain. And if you search for it on IMDb, don't type singing in the rain because nothing comes up. It's singing. S-I-N-G-I-N apostrophe. <laughs> ah, I didn't know that. Singing in the oh. rain. So uh, this is our second musical that we're uh, reviewing. And the first one was also another Gene Kelly musical on the town. And it was also an MGM musical. Uh, and it was also co-directed with Stanley Donan. Which, he was also a co-director on this one, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Gene Kelly was given uh, directorial credits for this one as well. So he was sort of in front of the camera, and Stanley was sort of behind the camera, but they worked together. And boy, did it turn out well. Yeah, it was voted the 10th greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly, and it's the highest rated musical in that uh, magazine. Number one movie musical in American film history by the American Film Institute. Uh, voted number eight on Empire Magazine's 500 Greatest Movies of All Time. Yeah, it's well thought of. Oh, before we continue, should we introduce ourselves for the new listeners? Oh, we probably should. I'm Matt Johnson, coming to you from uh, the Seattle area. And I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles. Thanks for uh, joining us for Classic Movie Reviews. Uh, this movie is terrific. I just can't say enough about it. It's so good. Yeah. And it made a lot of money. Yeah, how much did it make? Well, I don't have the final figure, but what I found in research, it, it uh, in the box office receipts, which usually are its first run, it made, in today's dollars, almost $50 million on a budget in today's dollars of about $20 million. So mm -hmm. the, and it's, it continues to make money, I think, through DVD sales and that sort of thing. I just bought a DVD of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I did, too, a few months ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, but beyond the financial success of the movie, I think in terms of, like, a cultural influence, it's, it's even bigger. Um, and we were talking before we got started about the influence this movie has on current film directors and television directors especially uh, like the high school musical movies and and glee the tv show so it's it's really well thought of in terms of its influence on modern television and film it is and so is gene kelly he he carries on uh i also i wanted to mention that the, the two co-writers for the, the movie uh betty comden and adolph green were hugely successful in writing screenplays, musicals, Broadway shows, and uh, they I don't know how many they did. I didn't look up the number, but they were they were so closely identified with each other over so many decades that people thought they were married, oh. which they were not. <laughs> but boy, they are so talented. And I remember Adolph Green back in the seventies would show up on television interviews, and he did a few movies. He was very funny. Well, there's a lot of comedy in this movie, too. There's a lot of oh. sort of slapstick and physical comedy. and, and Every uh, kind of comedy you, you, you could imagine. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I liked it when Gene Kelly was getting mobbed by those fans, and, and he yells out to Cosmo, I want a souvenir! I want a souvenir, too! Hey! Hey, you're playing rough there! Hey, you're turning like... Hey, Claus, do something! Call me a cab! Okay, you're a cab. Thanks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> cornball. Yeah, just goofy. Oh, or that story that Gene Kelly's character tells at the beginning when they're waiting for that grand opening of the movie about their upbringing together, he and Donald O'Connor's character. I mean, he just made this up on the spot. On the spot, yeah. And what he says is totally the opposite of what it actually was. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I tell you, there's so many. There, there are as many good scenes in this as any of the movies I've seen this during our podcast. Dozens of them, actually. Yeah, I mean, right from the beginning. So we get the opening music, and the first thing we see are uh, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, and Debbie Reynolds dancing in the rain just for, I don't know, 10 seconds or something. And then it cuts to the title cards, and we get some nice music there. And of course, the music is amazing i mean throughout the whole movie there's no i don't think there's any bad music in this movie at all 
No, I was, I kind of listed some of the ones that I really like. You Were Meant For Me is one. Make Them Laugh, which is a great dance number. Singing in the rain, singing in the rain. And Good Morning. Yeah, the Good Morning one just is four. Great. The other one that I liked is the Moses Supposes. Snifter. Sipped his snifter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sinful Caesar sipped his snifter, seized his knees and sneezed. Marvelous. Wonderful. Marvelous. <laughs> oh, here, here is a good one. Chester chooses chestnuts, cheddar cheese with chewy chives. He chews them and he chooses them. He chooses them and he chews them. Those chestnuts, cheddar cheese and chives in cheery, charming chunks. Oh, wonderful. What? Do another one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. Moses, he knows us his toes are roses, as Moses supposes his toes to be. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. But Moses, he noses, his toes aren't roses, as Moses supposes his toes to be. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. A Moses, a Mose, a rose is a rose, a toes is a toes. Hoopty doody doodle. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. For Moses, he noses, his toes aren't roses, as Moses supposes his toes to be. Right. <laughs> Shall we try to do this linearly, or just what? How do you want to proceed? Well, we could There's go so through it kind of uh, chronologically, but um, I don't. I don't think we're going to hit every scene. But uh, what? But did you happen to notice at the beginning of the movie? There's that opening night at the movies, and they show some scenes of the fans kind of in the crowd, and there's a woman who looks just like Catherine Hepburn. It's amazing how much she looks like Catherine Hepburn. I didn't notice it. Maybe it was her. I did a little research, and there's there's no definitive answer to that, but people generally say that that was her. She made an uncredited appearance in the movie. Um, I know she did a lot of movies at MGM. Who knows? Spencer Tracy may be in that crowd somewhere. Yeah, maybe. I mean, take a look at it, just the first uh, opening scene, and see what you think. Um, There were so many characters coming out of those limos, I was looking to see if I knew any of them. I like that. I missed her. I like the dresses that they were wearing too. It felt very uh, like 1920s to me. But I, oh I do, yes, indeed. I do like that backstory, and the best part of that backstory to me was when Gene Kelly was playing the stuntman, and he did yes, that. Yes. He, he did that one stunt where he drove the motorcycle off the cliff into the river, and I had to watch it a couple times. It really looks like he drove that motorcycle off. Uh, into the river. I'm, I'm sure that that wasn't a real person falling into the river, but it sure they sure did a good job on that. Probably not Gene Kelly, but it it didn't have the look of a of a mannequin or a dummy, and it uh, had to be what 200 feet down to that river. And I believe I believe it that in the 1920s that they were they were doing crazy stuff like that, you know, with their stuntmen. I'm sure I don't even know how many people died in different, you know scenes of trying to make movies and some of the oh. crazy things they did with blowing stuff up or jumping off of things or running into things. It, it reminds me of that scene in 12 o'clock high where that one guy got paid about $4,500 to crash that B 17 into that building. Yeah. That was real time. That was a real person in there in a real B 17. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, a Gene Kelly was a, was a fantastic athlete, very, very athletic in a lot of different, fields i think track and field and so forth so i'm sure that wasn't him but i bet he would have liked to try it <laughs> if they'd let him <laughs> yeah there was I a scene that. there was a scene that uh came a little later where he jumps from a car onto a trolley and then over a trolley yes. into another yes. car that was that was pretty incredible and, and then he ends up in debbie reynolds convertible yeah <laughs> yeah right Another actor that was that athletic was Burt Lancaster. He actually did a lot of his stunts. And when they made the movie The Train, which is a really good movie that we might want to review sometime, made in the early 60s, he actually broke his leg on one of the stunts, and then they incorporated that broken leg into the rest of the movie. Oh, jeez. He refused to have stunt people doing that stuff. I think it's uh, really rare these days to have an actual lead do their own stunts. I I know some leads... Do still some of their own stunts, but it's so expensive now to get insurance and whatnot. I At imagine those they, prices. 
Wow. Yeah. We get the scenes of the Royal Rascal silent movie, which I, I thought was just a perfect kind of parody of, of silent movies of the era. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And then we, we sort of learn what the plot of the movie is going to be. It, it, the fact that uh, Lena Lena is much better as a silent movie actress than a... Than a she's not going to make it in the talkies. Her voice is so screechy and, and just so unappealing to listen to. We don't know anything about this gadget. What do you have to know? It's a picture. You do what you always did. You just add talking to it. Yeah? Don, believe me, it will be a sensation. Lamont and Lockwood, they talk. Well, of course we talk, don't everybody? And Lena is played by by Jean Hagen, and what I, I, you know, in doing research on this, she actually had a really beautiful talking and singing voice. So she was acting that, you know, crazy screechy sort of annoying voice that she had. Boy, she played that part well. She was nominated for uh, an Academy Award as Best Supporting Actress. She didn't win, but. I can see where she was nominated. And the character that she played, Lena Lamont, I love that, Lena Lamont, was actually based on a real person named Norma Talmadge, who couldn't make the transition from silent to talking film. So there was a bit of real time in that. So one of the themes is, is sort of that that change that's happening, that revolution from silent film to talking pictures. and. There's some real parallels in the modern age of a similar thing happening. So, for instance, when when Apple introduced the iPhone in 2007, executives from other phone and computer companies that were at the time sort of the leading companies in the world, like BlackBerry and Dell, basically said, this is just a toy, it's not for real work, it's not going to be a success, and they couldn't see the revolution that was happening right before their eyes. And that's basically what was happening here is that uh, there's this revolution happening with talking pictures and they couldn't really see it as it was happening. It was only after the jazz singer became a hit that they realized that this was going to be the way movies were made from now on. I think that repeats itself in all kinds of industries. I think the highlight of the movie for me is when they're all at the home of the uh, movie studio executive and he shows that that movie that introduces talking film. Yeah. And the guy that does that is so smarmy. And creepy. character. Oh, he's creepy. He's got I, terrible I teeth. Terrible teeth. He looks like he needs a shower. He's just got this awful presentation. Listen, everybody, I've got a few little surprises for you tonight. All right, everyone, sit down. Sit down. Listen, this is going to hand you a lot of laughs. There's a man been coming into my office now for months, and, well, you got that gadget working, Sam? All set, Mr. Simpson. Okay, let her go. Hello. This is a demonstration of a talking picture. Notice, it is a picture of me, and I am talking. Note how my lips and the sounds issuing from them are synchronized together in perfect unison. Since the earliest Who's days that? of the cinema... There's screen, somebody talking behind that screen. Come on from behind that screen, Mr. Simpson. No, no, I'm right here. ...of our pioneer inventor. My voice has been recorded on a record. A talking picture. Goodbye. Well, it's just a toy. It's a screen. It's vulgar. RF, do you think they'll ever really use it? I doubt it. The Warner Brothers are making a whole talking picture with this gadget. The jazz singer. They'll lose their shirts. What do you think of it, Dexter? It'll never amount to a thing. Yeah, that's what they said about the horseless carriage. I'm sure that was done for the comedy of it. I don't know who that guy was, but he was good in his part. No, that seems that seemed, that seemed real to me like that's this is a demonstration <laughs> of talking pictures. Notice how my I am talking and my <laughs> lips are moving and it's in sync with the picture. You know, was, to me that was like this technical sort of scientific, hey, we can do talking pictures, but there was no art to it. There was no like nothing there that would grab your attention and say, "Wow, this is this is amazing." And nobody in that party is impressed by it. They're all sort of like, yeah, oh, that's just a fad. That's not going anywhere. But 
why would they be impressed? It was not an impressive demo of oh, it. Oh, that's true. Unless they were, unless somebody in the audience was a dentist. Yeah. They I'm might like, have oh. been intrigued by those guys, that guy's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was just awful. Well, that, uh, right before that scene, though, they have the uh, where uh, Debbie Reynolds comes out of the cake. Uh, I like that scene where she's dancing with those other uh, dancers in the at the party, and all the streamers are coming down. And uh, there's a there's a thing that I noticed in watching one of the making of documentaries where there's a streamer that falls right on her face, and rather than stop or or make a big deal out of it, she just sort of nonchalantly pulls it off her face and kind of rolls her eyes and keeps going. And they were saying that in the at the time, uh, in the 1950s, MGM would take several months off before or during the filming of the movie to go rehearse all these dance numbers like they would if it was a Broadway musical. And then they would do the entire dance number in one take without you know without any edits or cuts or anything and they were saying that's incredibly hard to do to get all those dancers to go the whole way through the number with no mistakes and you know just that was an example of Debbie Reynolds just continuing on you know there's a streamer over her face it's not a big deal she just pulls it off and keeps going and movies today and in TV shows today they they have cut scenes in their dance numbers because it's so right. difficult to to get through one without a mistake. I'm moving ahead, but that was also impressive to me when Gene Kelly does Singing in the Rain, in the Rainstorm. That looks like one continuous filming, and I read where they did it over several days with several cuts, but it, because it was so hard to do, his suit shrunk, he had a cold. I, I read it that looks, he did that all in one take. Yeah, I, I, there's two stories on that. I guess maybe we'll never know. Yeah, I, I read that he had a fever of over 100 degrees and that he did that all in one take. And, you know, now I'm starting to think maybe there's some urban legend there about what actually happened. Or or two different people just made up their versions. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. But anyway, I did like that scene with her coming out of the cake. It reminded me of the scene in uh, Some Like It Hot where the cake opens up and the guy comes out with a machine gun. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> totally different, totally yeah. different approach. Oh, then we get to one of my favorite scenes. I love it when uh, Donald O'Connor does that that dance number on the stage of the movie studio oh, there, and he's isn't that terrific? And he's got so much energy, and his facial expressions are just so fun. And he was singing. It was uh, make him laugh. Make him laugh. Yeah. Make him laugh. He practically killed himself doing that scene. I think. Man, now that looks like it was all done in one shot too. And to me. Well, the story with that one is that he did it one day, and then there was some error or some something happened with the camera or the film, so he had to come back and do it again. And oh, no. He, he was laid up in bed for four days afterwards because it took so much out of him. Oh, I can believe it. And apparently he I, was... He's, he's a favorite. He's yeah, a he's, a, he's amazing. Apparently he was smoking four packs of cigarette a day at the time when they were making this movie. I, I read that too. <laughs> He's, that's 80 cigarettes a day. I mean, that's nonstop smoking all day long. That's so His teeth bad for didn't you. show it, though. God, I, no kidding. How did he, he have any, funny? How did he have any energy to do anything if he's smoking that much? I don't know. He, I mean, unless it's another urban legend. It could be. Could be. Yeah. I guess. I guess I don't know. Only his doctor knows. Where do we go next here? I oh, then the studio the studio had RF RF comes in that says... So what's the matter, RF? The jazz singer. That's what's the matter, the jazz singer. Oh, my darling little mammy, down in Alabama. My little baby. Oh, no, this is no joke, Cosmo. It's a sensation. The public is screaming for more. More what? Talking pictures. Talking pictures. Oh, it's just a freak. Yeah, what a freak. We should have such a freak at this studio. I told you talking pictures were a menace, but no one would listen to me. But that's not what he said at all. He said that, no, nah, talking movies aren't going to be a big thing. Or, you know, earlier at that part party but now that yes. the jazz singer is a big hit yeah. he's like i told you so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> millard mitchell I, he's a very good character actor and his part was patterned after the producer of the movie arthur freed oh really that was i guess that's how arthur freed was he just oh that worked okay let's do that arthur um, freed had a uh, all these songs that he had written um yes and and he had them lying around and then that's kind of what 
how they came to make this movie. And the only songs that were written for the movie were Moses Supposes and the Good Morning. I but didn't know that. The other ones were already uh, songs that he'd written. Yeah. Man, he was a talented man. So then they, so they kind of did it reverse. They had the song, so they had, they had to come up with a story. And I think that's why... You remember when we were talking about On the Town and that the story was just barely enough there to kind of hold it right. together from one song right. to the next? And there's a little bit of that in this movie as well. It's it's kind of like, how do we get from this song to this other song? And and To uh, me, it's more seamless in this one than it was in On the Town. That they, they transitioned pretty pretty uh, smoothly, I thought. Well, and, and the, the plot that they did have, I, th- I found interesting. You know, like the... It yeah. wasn't quite as uh, shallow as the one that yeah. was in On the Town. So some of my favorite scenes in the movie are when they're trying to get the talking movie technology working, and, and Lena keeps messing up because she, she doesn't talk into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and that poor director. <laughs> the director was losing his mind on that. She just And she just didn't grasp the concept. No, she couldn't figure out that she actually had to talk into the mic. So then they sew it into her dress, and then RF comes in and says, "What?" Now, please, Lena, talk into the mic. Yeah. Oh, and don't make any quick jerky movements so or you might disconnect it. Okay, let's go. Quiet! 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 Roll them! What's this wire doing here? It's dangerous. <laughs> I, I imagine that a lot of that was what was happening. Because the equipment was so big and bulky and noisy. Well, and, and then I kept thinking, well, they don't have like a grip, you know, like they don't have somebody who's there holding the oh. mic over. They just didn't have that. So they were trying oh. to like hide the mic and a bush or in her dress and you know and then later in the movie they show that they've sort of figured it out more because then they've got mics on booms and they've got people holding mics in it so they do a really fast progression of of their technique in the movie which i read later was actually took years and years to figure all that stuff out but you know they do it within the course of making one movie over you know six weeks so that's (laughs) I, i love that scene when they actually uh, show the movie to the audience. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and all yeah. of the flubs and all the sound, and then the film and the mu- and the voice gets out of sync. <laughs> it's just, I was laughing so hard. It's very funny. It is. And they're all excited about the, the premiere, and you can see them, you know, ooh, our first talking movie. This is going to be so great. And then at the end of it, they're like hiding their faces and people are coming out of the theater saying, that was awful. And, oh, I'm never going to go to another, you know, Lamont or Lockwood film. You know, they're terrible. <laughs> That's the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and then I think they decide that Lena needs voice lessons. I think that came after that premiere. And yeah, that they, was a uh, huge failure. Oh no, that was a little. That was yeah. That was before was that the premiere, where they're they're going to try to get Lena to talk with proper diction, and they're oh, talking about okay. round tones, round tones. And <laughs> <laughs> we skipped over Moses, the Moses supposes number too, because because oh, no. they've also got uh, a, a diction coach to come in and talk to uh, Don Lockwood, and he doesn't need any help. He's got it, you know. So. Then him and Cosmo start making fun of the diction coach with that Moses supposes number, and they keep pushing him around the room and wrapping him up in the curtains and then burying him in all the office stuff on the table at the end. And I just thought they made that look so easy. but it, it, They did. It was effortless. But before they started the dance, when he had roll your arms, I was like, why is, that, why is he going to have to do that? He doesn't need help. <laughs> yeah, she does. She needs help. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. I, I was yeah. That's right. That was before the premiere. So then oh, they then they have the number. premiere, and then it's a total disaster. So they're all feeling bad for themselves, sitting around uh, Don's house. Then they have this idea that hey, getting myself. Once they release the dueling cavalier, Lockwood and Lamont are through. Pictures a museum piece. I'm a museum piece. 
Well, things went wrong with the sound. If you just get the technical end straightened no, out. No, it wasn't that. Look, this is sweet of both of you, but I... Something happened to me tonight. I, I... Well, everything you ever said about me is true, Kathy. I'm no actor. I never was. Just a lot of dumb show. I know that now. Well, at least you're taking it lying down. No, no kidding, Cosmo. Did you ever see anything as idiotic as me on that screen tonight? Yeah. How about Lena? <laughs> All right, I ran her a close second. Maybe it was a photo finish. Anyway, I'm through, fellas. Don, you're not through. Well, of course not. Why, with your looks and your figure, you could drive an ice wagon, or shine shoes, block hats, sell pencil, dig ditches, or worse still, go back in the Volvo. Fit as a fiddle and ready for love. I can jump over the moon of above. Fit as a fiddle and ready for love. <laughs> Too bad I didn't do that in Dueling Cavalier. They might have liked it. Why don't you? What? Make a musical. A musical? Sure. Make a musical. The new Don Lockwood. He yodels. He jumps about to music. Oh. The only trouble is that after they released Dueling Cavalier, nobody had come to see me jump off the Woolworth building into a damp rag. Well, why don't you turn the Dueling Cavalier into a musical? Dueling Cavalier? Sure. They've got six weeks before it's released. Yeah. Add some songs and dances, trim the bad scenes, add a couple of new ones. And you got it. Hey. Hey, I think it'll work. Of course. It's a cinch. You know, it may be crazy, but we're going to do it. The Dueling Cavalier is now a musical. Hot dog! Hallelujah! Woo! I feel this is my lucky day, March 23rd. Oh, no, your lucky day is the 24th. What do you mean the 24th? It's 1.30 already. It's morning. Yes, and what a lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. And they just decide to make a musical, and poof, that's it. They're going to do a musical, you know? <laughs> But first, they have to dance. But first... And boy, could they dance. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that number was amazing. That Good Morning. Good where Morning. Where they're dancing oh. up and down the stairs and over the couches and, and with the raincoats. It was so fun and just so effortless again. It's just amazing. I think I read... I, I, this is where Debbie Reynolds was so nervous about dancing with Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor that when that... When they got done filming all that, her feet were bleeding. Yeah, her, her comment later in life was that uh, giving birth and making this movie were the two most difficult things she'd ever done in her life. Was that right? Oh, yeah. my. Wow. But wow. at the same time, I heard that she was grateful to Gene Kelly for teaching her all the things that, that she learned in this movie. So, again, it's kind of that... You know, it's it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but wow, what a, an amazing experience, you know, and it, it propelled me into a whole other level of my career kind of a thing. It really it really propelled her career ahead, my gosh. She had such a great... Well, she's still, she's still making movies, I think. Yeah, I think so. Even now. Yeah. There's one catch in their plan to make a musical, and that's Lena and her, her awful screechy voice. So then Don has this brilliant, brilliant idea of overdubbing uh, Kathy's voice, you know, over Lena's voice. And, and I read that this is really convoluted, so I got to get back to my notes. That in the Would You number, Kathy Selden, played by Demi Re Debbie Reynolds, is dubbing the voice of Lena Lamont, played by Gene Hagen, because Lena's voice is shrill and screechy. However, it's not Reynolds who's really speaking, it's Gene Hagen herself, who actually had a beautiful, deep, rich voice. So you have Gene Hagen dubbing Debbie Reynolds dubbing Gene Hagen. <laughs> I know, I read that this morning. I thought, wow, I didn't know that either. And then wasn't there someone that was singing instead of Debbie Reynolds? Yeah, and then when Debbie is supposedly Yeah, when Debbie's supposedly dubbing Gene singing of Would You, the voice you hear is actually Betty Noise, who had a much richer much richer singing voice than Debbie. So there was a lot of like uh sort of movie magic happening as they put this together. And I can imagine because of all of this that, that you just described and all the other things with the dance numbers, there's no wonder there was uh, tension around the studio sets when they were doing this. Because they're on a budget, they've got timelines, and, you know, that I could just see that getting to be really difficult. Well, and don't you think, like... Uh... Gene Kelly and uh, Stanley um, Don, Donan? Don, Stanley Donnan, 
Donan? Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure. Either one, I think. Uh, sort of had this vision in their head of what this movie was going to be, and, and trying to communicate that and get that out must have been so difficult. I, I agree. I, I would think they would have. Especially Gene Kelly probably had the whole movie put together in his head. It, it, that scene near the end that you said you didn't care for that much, that 15-minute sort of uh, Broadway musical number. Right. And he says, well, RF says to, to Don Lockwood, he says, well, how's the movie coming along? And Don says, well, we've, we've got just one more musical number to do, and it's going to look like this. And then he, they cut to that you know 15-minute Broadway number. Yes. And I imagine that that's kind of really true in terms of uh, Gene Kelly had probably all of this mapped out in his head in terms of the numbers and kind of how they were going to fit together and the choreography and, you know, people just kind of had to trust that he knew what he was doing. I mean, obviously he's a genius and, and he did know what he was doing, but describing it, great, it, describing it and seeing it are just two totally different things. It was a great and well done 15 minutes. My one comment on it that was uh that, that i picked up is it didn't it seemed to not fit the rest of the movie as well as the rest of the dance numbers that was really what i picked up on it i wanted to go back to something though that uh, we we didn't mention remember the scenes and there were two or three where millard mitchell gene kelly and donald o'connor were i uh, brainstorming different things like the dance the name of the show and all that oh and yeah they'd be walking around and and then Donald O'Connor was always the one that came up with the idea. <laughs> Why, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, look, we'll keep the whole thing secret until we're ready to release, just in case it doesn't come off. But I'm a little worried about Lena. She doesn't like Miss Selden. There might be fireworks. I guarantee you, Lena won't even know she's on the lot. Okay, boys, this is great. The dueling cavalier can be saved. <laughs> now, let's see. The dueling cavalier with music. The title. The title's not right. We need a musical title. Cosmo? Hey, the dueling mammy. Now. I've got it. Now. The dancing cavalier. That's it, Don, the dancing cavalier. Cosmo, remind me to make you a scriptwriter. Well, thanks, all right. Have a cigar. Thanks. Now, what about the story? We need modern musical numbers. How's this? We throw a modern section into the picture. The hero's a young hoofer in a Broadway show, right? Right. Now, he sings and he dances, right? Right. But one night backstage, he's reading the tale of two cities, in between numbers, see? And a sandbag falls and hits him on the head, and he dreams he's back during the French Revolution, right? Right. Well, this way we get in the modern dancing numbers, Charleston, Charleston, but in the dream part, we can still use the costume stuff. Sensational. Cosmo, remind me to give you a raise. Oh, RF. Yes? <laughs> give me a raise. He just, it's, those scenes are so funny, because he was always coming up with these bright ideas. Guy was a genius. He was. I <laughs> <laughs> got us off track, I think. Oh, no, it's fine. We kind of jumped around a little bit there, because we didn't really talk about that, the most famous scene, which is uh, the dancing and singing in the rain scene. Good night, Kathy. See you tomorrow. Good night, Don. Take care of that throat. You're a big singing star now, remember? This California dew is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I stand, the sun is shining all over the place. Singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. 
what a glorious feeling. I'm happy again. Just the pure feeling of joy that that Gene Kelly sort of exudes in that scene, regardless of whether it was done in one take or, or multiple takes, or if he had a fever or didn't have a fever, it's just it's just amazing to me that he comes across as a as a real kind of manly man who's out singing and dancing in the rain and and you just totally buy it and it makes perfect sense for why he would be so happy oh and it's so well done i could watch that scene every week it puts you in a good mood doesn't it it really does it really does i just wondered as he was doing that did his feet hurt because those shoes were soaking wet and his pants were soaking wet yeah man no wonder he had a cold. And I loved how he just jumped into the puddle near the end, and then the police officer comes up, and he's kind of like, uh, okay, I guess I'm going to be done dancing and singing in the rain now. <laughs> yeah, that was a great... That's that's probably the highlight uh, of the whole movie. Yeah. I would think. And it stands on its own. I mean, you could just watch that one scene and not have ever seen the movie, and you'd still get the gist of it, you know? It's, yeah. It stands on its own. I'm going to have to see whether that was all done in one take or whether it was done in several takes because I now I'm intrigued by that so I'm going to do a little research. Does your offline. does your copy of the DVD have any like making of uh It does. Yeah, yeah you should watch those cuz those in there they say it was done in one take. So one take? I don't know. What do you think about Sid Charisse? Wow. There's another woman that had a great career later on. Wow, what a dancer. She was amazing. She must have been about 20 years old then. I, I didn't understand why she was in the movie like as sort of his dream girl in that 15-minute Broadway number, but I, didn't, I wasn't complaining because she was amazing. Well, you know, in those days, a lot of those younger actors were under contract with the studio, which is so different from today, that the studio may have said, let's put Sid Charisse in the movie because we've got her under contract and we can kind of build her career. Same with Rita Marino is in the movie for a very short time in the da- I think in the dance sequence. She went on to have a great career. I always remember seeing her in James Garner's uh, TV show, The Rockford Files. Oh, right. So I think, I think they were promoting younger uh, uh, actors and actresses for, for the studio you know, success. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you wouldn't see that much today. I, I think the the most well known scene of the movie is is Gene Kelly's dancing in the rain. But the one that really took my breath away was the one near the end of that sequence where Gene Kelly and Sid Charisse are dancing in sort of that very minimal kind of almost fantasy like set, and and the yes. Sid Charisse has that long white flowing dress that the fan is blowing up into the sky, and, and I I kept waiting for the that trailing piece of fabric of her dress to get caught up or to make some kind of weird maneuver, but it just was so beautiful and flowing and perfect. And how did they do that? How did they make that look so easy? I still can't figure that out. It was, it was incredible. It's the magic that MGM applied to those musicals. They made so many outstanding musicals. That was really their forte. Technicolor, uh, uh, movie, uh, musicals. I mean, a lot. I don't know how many they made, but there were dozens and dozens of them. They were masters at it. They definitely yeah. figured it out. Wow. I and, know. I, I always think of Warner Brothers as the master of the black and white gangster movies from the 30s and 40s. MGM, to me, is the master of the musicals in color. R- rich, wholesome, fun entertainment. Big sets, big numbers, yes. lots of people on screen. Kind of yeah. like amazing technique yeah uh so once we come back out of gene kelly's mind on the 15 minute broadway number uh we cut to a scene where lena is kind of blackmailing rf into changing the credits in the dancing cavalier you wouldn't want to call the papers and say that lena lamont is a big fat liar lena did you send this stuff out I gave an exclusive story to every paper in town. Lena, you'll never get away with it. Rod, call the papers back. Oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you, R.S. Don't tell me what to do, Lena. What do you think I am, dumb or something? I 
had my lawyer go over my contract. Contract? Yeah. And I control my publicity, not you. Yeah? Yeah. The studio's responsible for every word printed about me. If I don't like it, I can sue. What? I can sue. If you tell the papers about Kathy Selden, it would be detrimental and deleterious to my career. <laughs> I could sue you for the whole studio. Why, that's a lot of nonsense. Says so. Right here. Contract dated June 8, 1925. Paragraph 34, subdivision letter A. The party of the first part, that's me. You win, Lena. And I kind of thought at that point, maybe she's not as dumb as we've sort of been led to believe, because that's pretty shrewd of her to, to do that. And and I started feeling a little bit sad for her, because you could kind of get the sense that her career was going to be coming to an end. Because, you know, even if they did that with one movie, I mean, she, they can't keep doing that forever. And she's not going to make it in the talkies, just because she can't speak in a way that's pleasing to listen to. There is a sadness in that, and it's also there's a lot of realism in that. I think a lot of, I don't know the number, but a lot of men and women just never made the transformation from silent movies. Yeah, that, that's a, it's such a big transition. I, I, new careers were made, and, and old careers were sort of destroyed, uh, which gets to that last bit of the movie where we're at the premiere of The Dancing Cavalier, and Lena's trying her best to hold on to uh, taking credit for that. And then Don and Cosmo and RF come up with a plan to basically humiliate Lena and make it clear that Kathy was the the real voice. And I got to tell you, the first time I watched it, I, I, I didn't pick up on this as much as like the second time I watched it. But the second time I watched it, I kind of thought more about Lena and how how cruel that was to do that to her. Um, and uh, yeah, she wasn't the nicest person in the world. And in other ways, I think she was just trying to fight for her, her career and fight for her place in the movies. And so when they did that to her, I think that pretty much destroyed her career at that point. I, yeah, it, it was a harsh ending for her, for sure. And then we cut unless to... She, a, unless she went into another part of the movie business. Maybe yeah, I guess we don't know. They don't really executive. follow up on that. <laughs> so no. there is kind of a nice uh, love scene at the end there where, uh, where Don is, is singing to Kathy and, and vice versa. So that was that was a nice way to end it. I Man, the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, this is so fun and I just such a great movie. And I gave it a 10, 10 out of 10. And then... The second time I watched it, I kind of felt a little bit down at the end because of the stuff with Lena, and, and then I was like, no, it's more like a 9 out of 10, and man, I vacillate between going with a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. It's kind of a tough one. It's definitely up there at 9 or 10. I uh, I gave it a 9 out of 10, and the only reason it's not a 10 in my mind is the, uh, the uh, integration of that 15-minute dance scene into the movie just never quite clicks for me on a level that would make it a 10 out of 10 like uh, in our reviews or or uh, uh, Grapes of Wrath. But I, I know what you mean. I mean, it's every other thing of that movie, every other part is a 10. Yeah, I, man, it's a 10 all the way up until that last little bit for me. And then I, I, I kept yeah. thinking, you know, is there is there another way they could have done that? Is there a way they could have done that that wasn't so cruel to Lena um, I don't know so well, it kind of got me thinking the CEO could have come and grabbed her and said well you've done so well so far with our studio we'll bring you in and you can be head of you know talent or something like that yeah that would have been an up that would have been an up ending but you know so much of the so much of uh, drama in in film and TV is based on a lie that is told in the in the story and then it's sort of like either trying to cover up the fact that the lie was told or trying to prop up the story around the lie that was told and I yes. think we've talked about this before in, in, in other reviews is so you know the the lie that's told here is that that that's Lena's voice and and talking and singing and and so then that the drama comes around well 
is the truth going to come out or is she going to be able to cover up the fact that she told this lie? And that's just such a standard sort of way of, of building up that drama. The movie in terms of the directing and the, the cinematography and the music and the dancing and all that is absolutely a 10 out of 10. No question. The only, the only thing that makes me pause is, is the way they constructed that last sort of reveal and I wish that they would have done that in a little bit different way that maybe didn't put all the burden of Kathy's success and, and future success on sort of destroying Lena's career, you know, and that's kind of what it came yeah. down to for me. Well, at nine out of 10 isn't bad on our scale. And uh, the American Film Institute, I think, said it was the fifth best movie ever made. Yeah, it's definitely well, on a lot of people's top 10 list <laughs> for sure. And, you know, when I went to buy this movie at Barnes & Noble, they had a special promotion going on of the top 100 uh, movies. And it was number five. It was, you know, listed in number five. And uh, Grapes of Wrath was, was in there. Probably Citizen Kane. Yeah, I'm just thinking of the other ones that we've, we've reviewed. Yeah. Oh, that we've reviewed. But there there was a few others that we've reviewed that were in that list. But, you know, a lot it of the ones that we include... reviewed aren't... aren't uh, top 100 movies like uh, you know Fantastic Voyage, <laughs> <laughs> or Creature from the Black Lagoon, or or uh, that one. What was that? Oh God, I can't even remember the um, movie where the murder mystery. Yeah, Witness to Murder. Witness to Murder. Oh, bo- bottom 100. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we were after. Some variety. Yeah. So, what's up for our uh, podcast in uh, two weeks? Well, uh, I thought. Because this movie, Singing singing in the Rain, is reaction to the jazz singer, you know, their their story, and the success of the jazz singer makes them redo their movie, that I thought maybe we should watch the jazz singer. Excellent. Well, I think Al Jolson. Yeah, and let me just read you something here. I'm... I, I was able to get the Blu-ray deluxe version. It's got three different discs... Uh, I got it for 50% off, so it was actually not too too bad. But let me just read you something here. There's a little booklet in the in the Blu-ray. It's an 88-page booklet. Maybe it's not so little. But it says, The book you hold in your hands contains images and words that were a product of their time. It may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. While the following does not represent the Warner Brothers' view of today's society, this book presents views as they were originally created, because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. So I'm thinking that our review is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, Yes. I mean, obviously this is the movie where Al Jolson does the blackface, and that's hugely controversial uh, today. But uh, at the time, just like that thing, like that forward says, it was kind of commonplace in society in the 1920s. Oh, and even up into the 30s and 40s, one of the most popular radio programs every week was Amos and Andy, which were two uh, guys uh, dressed up and and, uh, pretending to be African-American. Yeah. And it it was hugely popular. So... Those stereotypes are hard to die or go away, and <laughs> unfortunately, persist in some ways today. In yeah. Some areas. So this is well, a movie we got that's... philosophical, didn't we, for a minute? Yeah, we probably will quite a bit next time as well. So, anyway, we should probably wrap it up. We've gone on okay. for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a good movie, uh, though. I really enjoyed it. It's really fun. I'm glad we watched it. Oh, me too. All right. Uh, I'll turn it over to you. All right. Well, until next time, this is Matt Johnson. And Bob Johnson. Coming to you from Classic Movie Reviews at ClassicMovieReviews.net. And, of course, if you're looking for us on iTunes, just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And until next time, have a fun movie-watching week. And thanks for joining us.
out. Fun. <laughs> and based on the ratings that we got or listenership on iTunes, we should now just convert to classic science fiction reviews. <laughs> no, the iTunes. <laughs> no, the iTunes review was something like, "I'm glad that I'm glad to hear classic movies taken seriously." Yes, I, I like that comment. Yeah, <laughs> which I think, I think is that, really true because I've listened to a couple other podcasts and and I think they're way, they're making way too much fun of the the old movies, like kind of at the old movies' expense. And I think you've really got to put the movies in the context within which they were made and released, and you can't judge them based on today's standards. It's just not fair, and you don't oh, you can't do injustice that way. I think one of the reasons that Turner Classic Movies is so popular and doing so well is they treat them with they treat the older movies with respect, and they always put it in the context of when they were when the movie was made and that era, and judge it by that, not by t- today's standards. Well, yeah, just like this uh, little forward to the jazz singer, I think it puts it's a good way to say that. I mean, it puts it in context. It's not to say that we would agree with it or that, that, that it's okay in today's, you know, morals, but <clears throat> let's watch it and let's, let's review it in the context of, you know, 19, the 1920s. Good, exactly. good on you for whoever made that comment on you on iTunes. I think you nailed it in terms of what we're trying to do with this podcast. 